I believe grades three to five. Let's go to class. As they're heading out, as was mentioned, October, um, I, I didn't, didn't see that coming. I never see it coming. I always forget about that. So uh, thank you, Rhonda. Thank you, church, for praying. We really do appreciate that as pastors and elders. Um, we, we need that. We need your prayers. We need your encouragement. And so that does a lot and says a lot. And um, as you said, it was his birthday. It's also Halloween. Um, and that, you know, sometimes we get to October and that's what we think about. It's, it's, it's at Halloween. It's a time of scaring and costumes, um, you know, and, and whatever it's movies or stories or haunted houses, corn mazes, spiders, things that scare us. We don't like, uh, that tends to strike more in the month of October. And it seems with the coming election, there seems to be even more fear being produced, um, as media tends to provoke our emotions through whether it's politics or whatever it may be that's going on in this world with tension and, and so much. And so I really wanted to, in the next few weeks, just talk about how to find God's peace in the midst of all that's going on around us. I really believe, church, that we need to understand that God is still in control. So when you turn on the news or you read the newspaper, whatever it is, this conversation is going on, I'm telling you, it's easy to be shaken. It's easy to find fear. It's easy to wonder and worry and be overwhelmed. And God says, stop it. He has a better way of saying it in Psalm 46. And he says, be still. And know that I'm God. So I, I really want to focus on that the next uh, few weeks. And, and, and I think about moments in my life where there wasn't peace or it was a little bit shaky time. And I'll never forget the phone call. We'd just gotten back. Uh, Colin and Clay and I had just went to Taylor University for a couple of days. It was called 24, and there was other things going on in which he was vying for a scholarship. And so we had driven over uh, from Indiana, actually, down to Taylor uh, to spend some time there and for Colin to be interviewed and go through all these things. And it was a good time. We, we just got back to Wasiad, pulled the bags out, put them down in the living room, and I got the phone call from my brother's. Um, saying that dad was not doing well and um, that this might be his last hours. And we'd just spent time with mom and dad just three days prior to that, celebrating their 85th and 83rd birthday. They, they share the same birthday, and we always do a big party for them. And, and so we just left from mom and dad's down to Taylor. Jenny Carter drove back to Wauseon. We drove back from Taylor to Wauseon. We got that phone call. So I took my suitcase and basically dumped it out and threw some new stuff in and uh, got on the road, head back to Indiana. And I got there that night, and I sat in the chair where my dad was situated in the best possible he could find comfort at that moment. And uh, my brothers went home, and I took my turn sitting in the room with Dad that night. Um, and the next morning, I'll never forget, waking up that next morning in that chair next to Dad and Ann, uh, a soft snow was falling outside. It was February, and, I'm, and I've got pictures on my phone still that day, just just looking at the earth being blanketed with this whiteness, this newness, this freshness. And um, my family came throughout the day, and later in the afternoon near supper, um, I, I took the pain meds uh, into my room for my dad, and I realized this was it. And within a few seconds, he took his last breath. Um, I, Dad was no longer in pain. I called my siblings and my mom into the room. And um, first thing out of my mom's mouth was, 
Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. No more pain. No more pain. In those moments, death and sorrow, like a storm, can flood into our lives. And many of you understand, I can't even probably count on my hands how many of you have lost a parent this last year or in the last two years. A lot of you understand this. And not to stir your emotions, but boy, death can quickly turn up fear. Of all the things that really crank up fear in our life, death is probably one of the top. It's that last breath. And maybe it isn't the last breath that strikes fear into your life. Maybe it's that last paycheck. Maybe it's that, that last um, solution that you, you're down to your last wit on what do I should do. Maybe it's your last hope. And it's all these things that just bring fear into our life. And I'm telling you, look around now. And as I said, fear owns no calendar. Fear doesn't come just in October on the 31st or the weeks prior. Fear comes throughout the year. It could be political circus right now or a dismal economy that shakes us and, and we worry. It's a terrorist threat or a radical religious activity going on. Zika virus, layoff at work, turmoil in the Middle East. This, you know, the list continues, right? Cops being shot, school violence, Supreme Court decisions. All these things strike fear. What's next? What's the next thing that's going to put fear into us? And you almost begin to believe that with every sunrise, there's going to be a new fear. What could happen to my family? What could happen at work? I'm going to tell you something. Fear makes a lot of noise. Fear stirs a lot of hearts. It's like a big bully. Brash, creator of problems, never, never a solution or peacemaker. Just creates issues in our life, doesn't it? Fear never helps. Fear never saves marriages. Fear never saves a business or relationship. Fear never relieves us of poverty. Fear never relieves us of racial tension or political arguments. They're, these moments are just like storms that come into our life. Sometimes there's a warning. Sometimes there's no warning. And you think about this when the storms come, just like the hurricanes have come. We've got a, a radar to say the storm is on the horizon. And we can start putting in the sandbags and boarding up the windows and start preparing, evacuating if we have to. Some things we know that are coming our way, we can sort of prepare for those storms. Sometimes there's no warning and it just hits. Open up your Bibles, please, to the book of Matthew. It's the first book in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll bring one to you. It's a familiar passage. It's a passage I've preached on before. And I often say, if you heard me preach it once, you'll probably hear me preach it twice. If we can get away with it at Easter and Christmas, I think we can get away with it at other times as well. But this is an incredible scripture. But I'm going to preach it with a different view today. Romans chapter 8. First book in the New Testament. Romans chapter 8. Again, if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. The guys in the back will bring you one. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 23. Jesus got into the boat. He started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. And the disciples went and woke him up shouting, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Jesus responded, why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up. He rebuked the wind and the waves. And suddenly there was a great calm. The disciples were amazed. Who is this man, they asked. Even the wind and the waves 
obey him. And I want you to understand the setting of this. Jesus had just got done preaching an incredible message. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Great teaching, great message. He amazed people. Matter of fact, in, in Matthew 7, 28 and 29, it says this. When he finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of the religious laws. Jesus gets on preaching this amazing message. The disciples then witnessed Jesus do a couple of things. There's a centurion whose servant is sick and dying. Jesus heals the servant. Peter's mother-in-law is sick. Jesus steps into the home, takes care of Peter's mother-in-law. And then it said there were many more that were healed. They just heard some great teaching, and then they saw Jesus back it up with this incredible healing. Now, ironically then, he gets into a little discussion with some people around him. And they're like, we want to follow you. We want to follow you. Wouldn't you all want to follow him too? You just heard some amazing teaching, and then he starts healing people, and he starts to go out the door, and everybody's like, let's follow Jesus. What's he going to do next? What's he going to say next? I want to know. But Jesus, whoa, you want to follow me? Let me talk to you about the cost of following me. I have no place to lay my head. I will go through places that you will not want to go. I might go without a meal or two. As he talks about the cost of following, a few of these people are like, Oh, I'll go, and then others start making excuses. Well, first I need to do this, and first I need to do that. And there's excuses being made, but Jesus says, all right, there's a cost for following me. And then he gets to the Sea of Galilee, and he's going to get into a boat with some of his followers, his disciples. And again, they're like, we want to go wherever you're going, Jesus. All right, let's get in the boat. These men had little idea of where they were going with Jesus that day. They were simply just amazed. His teachings were incredible. His healings, never seen before. But now as a follower, they're getting in a boat with him and they're going to learn another lesson in what it means to follow Jesus. If you're going to call yourself a follower, church, if you're going to call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple of Jesus Christ, then you better know what it means to follow. Don't we all want to follow him? As a Christian, we're followers of Jesus Christ, right? In chapter 8, verse 24, we read this. What does it say? It says, Suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake while waves were breaking into the boat. Oh, I'll follow you anywhere, Jesus. Let me tell you something. You follow Jesus, you might follow him right into a storm. That happens. It happens. And by the way, the Greek word used here for storm is seismos. Seismos. As in earthquake, in which we define a shaking, a great commotion. An earthquake. This was no thunderstorm on the lake. This was like an earthquake. This was an incredibly rattling storm. And we find this word used only a few places in the New Testament. As I started looking about this word, I thought it was pretty amazing. You only hear Jesus talking about when he talks about end times, when the earth will shake, seismos, like an earthquake. And in Revelation, the book of Revelation talks about seismos, a storm, a rattling of this earth. Jesus mentions it. Only three times. Once, when he's on the cross, and the earth shook, seismos. And then when he was at the tomb, and he resurrected from the dead, and the earth shook, and he rose from the dead. And the third time, when he's on the boat, and the sea shook. So I was thinking about this. When the seismos, the storm, came at the cross, Jesus defeated what? Sin. And when the seismos 
The storm came at the tomb. Jesus defeated what? Death. And when seismos came at the sea, Jesus defeated fear. I love thinking about how those words are used by Jesus and used only for special reason. And these disciples just heard what it meant to follow Jesus. Hey, there's no rest. There's no place to put your head. There's going to be discomfort in following me. You're going to have to stand up. You're going to have to be bold. This could be tough. When you follow Jesus, church, it ain't all sunshine, puppies, and rainbows, okay? And none of us are like, well, I thought when I'd give my life to Jesus Christ, it's all good. Hmm. Somebody gave you a prosperous religious talk. Listen, you get in a boat with Jesus, it's not always a carnival cruise. I'm going to tell you that right now. John 16, Jesus said this, I told you this so you may have peace with me because here on earth, listen, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Jesus said, you will. You will have trials. Listen, you will have sorrow. People will pass away. People will leave you. You will get in trouble at times with things. There will fears that will come. They'll be like a storm. They'll overtake you. It will hurt. There will be storms in your life. It'll feel like an earthquake sometimes. Listen, church, it's not the absence of storms that set us apart from the rest of the world. It's whom we discover and place our hope in in the midst of the storms that set us apart from the rest of the world. The storm arrives in this particular story, and where's Jesus? Sleeping. Like half the church right now, I'm just kidding. He's sleeping at the front of the boat, at the stern. Some of you like looking around, who's sleeping? Just a joke, okay? Mark 4 gives us more story on his details. In the Gospels, you will hear different stories recorded by different authors of the same situation. In Mark 4, we read more about this story, and it gives us more detail. The stern is just that place below the deck where they would store their nets. And down there, too, there might be like a leather bag, a leather like sandbag, which is called a ballast. And when you read about Jesus, he was down in the deck. He was laying his head on that pillow, on that sandbag, taking a snooze, which I find incredibly amazing. Because I remember this, Jesus is God in the flesh. So there's no surprise to the storm. He knows it's coming. He's Jesus. He knows when the storms are going to come and when they're going to go. Full of knowledge, what lies ahead? He decides, I'm going to take a, take a little rest right now. I can't wait to see how these disciples handle this storm in their life without me telling them what to do. What's the disciples' reaction when the storm comes? And you look at this, probably the same kind of reaction we have when a storm hits. Think about this. The disciples didn't ask, and you have to turn with me. Actually, let's do this. Turn to Mark chapter 4. It's the next book. You're in Matthew. Go to the next book, which is Mark. In Mark chapter 4, we have the same story. Verse 35. Actually, we'll go to verse 38. Jesus is sleeping at the back of the boat with his head in the cushion. The disciples woke him up and they said this, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Think about what they just asked Jesus Christ. They weren't coming to him asking about his strength. Jesus, can you still the storm? They didn't ask him about his strength. They didn't come to him. They didn't ask him about his knowledge. Hey, Jesus, are you aware of the storm? Did you do that? They didn't ask Jesus about his know-how, like, hey, Jesus, have you ever had any experiences in storms? They asked what? Do you care? Are you kidding me? 
Do you care? Hey, God, do you care? Now, I say that sarcastically in a sense because I know probably 99.9% of the people in this room this morning, including myself, at times, I know I've said it. God, really, do you care? Do you really know what's going on in my life right now? One more? Are you kidding me? Another accident, another pain, another surgery, another fracture, another this, another that. God, do you really care? We're asking, and I have to step back and think about this. We're asking the mighty God of this universe, the one who loves us, the one who sent his very own son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for us, to take the penalty we couldn't handle, who loves us immensely, more than we can ever imagine. We're going to him and we're saying, do you care? Do you care, God? Don't you think God just wants to like, yes, I care. Haven't I told you? Haven't I shown you? But I'm going to tell you, this is what happens. When storms come, let's go back to the beginning. What happens? Fear comes, right? And when fear comes, fear warps our thinking. We don't think straight when we're scared. We don't. It dilutes our faith. Fear just releases doubt. I don't know if you noticed, but like with a wasp, if a yellow jacket, for instance, if a yellow jacket is attacking something and you attack that yellow jacket back, it releases a pheromone that goes the scent that goes out to all of its other friend wasp, yellow jackets, I mean, and they come swarming in. Fear is the same way. Fear releases, you know, it's like you get scared and fear, it like releases this out to everybody else. Fear calls out the doubt. Doubt grabs his buddy called self-control, right? Because here's the thing, if I've got, I've got control issues usually if I've got fear. If I'm fearful of something, I'm going to start trying to control things. Why? Because things are out of control. I'm fearful of that. So now I need control, so I take control. That's what fear does. And along comes questioning. God, why is this happening? Lack of trust. I don't know if God can handle this. I don't know if anybody can handle this. And then along comes self-centeredness and selfishness. Hoarding instead of giving because now I'm, I'm, in, I'm in protection mode. I'm fearful. So I'm going to protect my life. So I'm just going to hoard things. I can't give things away. I can't be kind to other people. I'm probably going to be a little more angry and a little more mean. All those things are quick to follow when fear comes in first. Everything gets clouded up here, and the result is a crazy lived-out life. Fear causes us to forget. It gives us spiritual amnesia is really what it's doing. I mean, did these disciples forget what they just witnessed? Did they forget the great teaching? The servant that was healed. Peter's mother-in-law that was healed. Did, did Jesus, you know, did he really do all that stuff? Or did disciples forget about it or what? Yeah, the disciples, they must have forgot. It causes what? Spiritual amnesia, right? In referencing the children of Israel and their deliverance of Egypt, Moses, uh, in that whole moment, in Psalm 78, we read this. Again and again, they tested God's patience and provoked the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember His power and how He rescued them from their enemies. They did not remember the miraculous signs in Egypt. The children of Egypt Egypt forgot. They did not remember what God did. Oh, here come the Egyptians pressing in on the Red Sea, and suddenly they forgot all that God had done up to that point in time. Fear does that. Psalm 77, 10 through 12 says this. And I said, this is my fate. The Most High has turned His hand against me. But then 
I recall, I remember all you've done, God. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I can't stop thinking about your mighty works. See, fear leaves us discontent in need of more. Seeking safety, as I said earlier. We're seeking self-preservation. So which return, we what? Restricts us from giving back to God. I don't know if you ever realized that, but if you're fearful, you are going to start lacking an ability to give. Let me give you an example. There was a time a few years ago when I believed that my children, our children, needed to be involved in certain programs and on certain sports. Because here's why. If they don't get involved with that travel team or that program or this program or that program, all these other kids are going to get, what, excel above them. And my kid's going to get left in the dust because they're not doing what these other kids are doing. So I better get my kids in these programs. I better make sure they're doing this and make sure they're doing that. I don't want my kids failing and being behind, right? Because if they're behind everybody else, they'll never get a scholarship. They'll never get in the big leagues. They'll never make it in life. They'll never get a job. See how fear escalates? So my fear that my children will not do well provokes me to want to push them into everything. Why? So that they don't miss out on anything. And as a result... I don't have any money to give to anybody else, to the church, to a mission or a ministry. Why? Well, because I'm, I've got to make sure they got all the money they need to do all these programs and so forth and so on. I'm sharing with you personal testimony. Okay? We finally came to our wits end because we were like a dog chasing our tail. You get nowhere quick and you just get dizzy. Fear leaves us discontent. And, and you know, not to pick on my son. He's not here to, to defend himself, okay? But he was one that we looked at, or at least I looked at, I should say. I won't throw Jenny into the mix. I'll put myself here. And saying, how, how will you ever do this? He's had uh, three surgeries, two fractures. He's never played one varsity game in his life. And all he wanted to do was play college baseball. How does a kid who's missed a couple seasons with all those injuries, he's not even played one game in a varsity Game his whole junior year going into his senior year, how could he ever go off to college and play ball like he wants to? See, I was trying to control everything. And all it took was for us to finally say, you know what, if God wants him there, God's going to do this. We surrender, we quit. No more scout stuff, no more, you know, take him to this event or that event. God wants him there, he'll find a way. Lo and behold, he went to two colleges through handful of pitches for both those coaches, and both coaches said, we want him at this college. But he hasn't even played a single varsity game, and do you know his injury history? They don't care. They saw at that moment what they saw. And I stepped back, and I thought, all this time, I thought I could control my kid's future. Fear does that. Fear puts you into the mode of, I've got to control it. What commands, you know, not to change gears here, but parents just think about all those fears, right? Now, now, kids, I want to ask you this question. What commands do most parents tell you? When you're at home, what's the biggest command they tell you? What's the biggest thing they say? No, no that's, that's the answer. What's the command? You have to go do something. Is it go pick up your room? Is it take out the trash? There's probably a lot of them, right? Every kid right now, think of what it's like. Oh, I know I'm going to hear this today. When you get home, you need to, boom, what is it, right? There's the command. Let me tell you something. In the New Testament, in the Bible here, there's 125 commands that Jesus gives in the New Testament. Okay, it's roughly around 125. 
Now, out of those 125 in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the majority of them, 21 of them, command us, Jesus commands, do not be afraid. Do not fear. Have courage. 21 times. The next one with the most common, the most common command, next in line with eight, if I can get my fingers up there, eight is love God. I think about this, it's like Jesus saying, listen, 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 this is the most important one right here, but what have I been repeating and telling you over and 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 over? Do not fear. Do not fear. It's like Jesus is always telling us and commanding us, do not fear. Like a parent telling their children, clean up your room, pick up your clothes. Jesus says, fear not, fear not, fear not. He's always encouraging us to have courage. If you want to, I think I've got some verses, uh, Matthew 6, 25, John 14, 1. If you want to look them up sometime, you can write them down now. But in these scriptures, Jesus talks about not worrying. Jesus talks about do not fear. If you want to on your own, find it, you know, pull it up on, uh, go back in your concordance, whatever it may be. Do a word search for do not fear and, and find them all. To be, be clear, though, I want you to hear this, though. To be clear, fear does have a healthy function in our life, Okay? I've been talking about do not fear, not fear. But we understand that fear does serve a healthy function. It keeps a kid from running onto a busy highway, right? It keeps a child from touching a hot stove. There are certain things they should fear. But fear itself is not a sin, but it can lead to sin. And that's what I want you to hear. The question is when fear arrives, because it will, because we're going to sit there and we're going to say, so is it sinful for me to have fear? No. Fear comes. What are you going to do with that fear when it arrives? Do we allow God to help us with the solution? Fear can knock on the door of your hearts. You don't have to let it in. You have that choice. Let's remember in the midst of the storm, Jesus stands up and does what? He commands the storm to be still. He amazes his followers with power. He amazes his followers with love. And he says, this is what I can do. And by the way, I want you to think about this. The disciples were heading across the Sea of Galilee where they were going to meet a demon-possessed man. That's where they were heading. Jesus knew it. I'm going across the Sea of Galilee. I've shown you my power in my teaching. I've shown you my power in sickness. I've shown you my power in nature. I want to show you my power over spiritual forces. We're going to go take that demon-possessed man and cross those demons. Disciples didn't know that's where they're going. They're just following Jesus. When you're following Jesus, you may not know where you're going, but I'm going to tell you this. On that way, you might have a storm come up because Satan knows you're going to a place that he doesn't want you at. God says, I'm taking you somewhere, and you're going to see something mighty. It seems like every time we go about to storm the gates of hell for Jesus, the storm attempts to hit us first. I don't know if you've noticed that. The other night, Fields of Faith. Thank you, by the way, for praying for Fields of Faith. Thank you, thank you. We mentioned that last week. We had a tremendous night. But we were looking at the radar Wednesday, 4 o'clock. I had no peace as far as inside or outside, inside or outside, inside or outside. Radar showed 8.15, 8.30. Let's do it, you know. So we were going to go outside at Biddle Park. And as the hour got closer and closer and closer, 6 o'clock, the radar, everything sort of changed. No, 8.30, 8.15, 7.45, now the rain might come. And about 6.45, we called it and said, to the high school. And everything got packed up and hauled over to the high school. And it just sort of seemed like the storm's coming. It's like, it's like Satan knew that. We're going to have something awesome, and he's going to try to defeat us, you know. And God's like, oh, yeah. Did you forget who's the God of the storm? Did you forget that something mighty can still happen in the midst of the storm? 
and it did. Over 400 came and showed up, students and, and parents. Some of you were there. You saw the, the prayers that were going on, the testimonies of the kids, their, um, the verses that were shared. And I think I actually sort of scared a bunch of people. My apologies. Um, I, at the very end, I came up and shared something. And I'll share it with you real quick. Um, I got up in front and I said, I want to share something with all of you. Maybe you've never heard this before. But um, growing up, I, I had a drug problem. And you could almost hear, like, people like, <gasps> and I was like, <sighs> see, my parents drug me to church every Sunday morning. My parents drug me to church every Sunday night. My parents drug me to church every Wednesday. My parents drug me to missionary conference. My parents drug me everywhere. My parents drug me up my whole childhood, okay? I shared that, and everybody was like, okay, we thought Rex was that. Now, listen, and I don't mean to make fun of the, the whole drug situation because I've got family uh, that is struggling with that, so I understand how painful that is. But... Here's the thing. Before I really came to know Jesus Christ, I was not a threat to Satan. Not at all. And neither are you. But here's the thing. As soon as you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you now have a target on your back. And I told the kids, I said, you're like the Jason Bourne of Christianity. Or for some of us older people, we're like the A-team for Christianity. Because we're always on the run. You know, because we're out there trying to save lives, do great things for Jesus Christ. And it seems like we're always being chased from one place to the next. That's what happens when you give your life to Jesus Christ. You decide to follow him, and sometimes you're going to ride into a storm. That's the way it goes. In your Bibles, Psalm 46 is an incredible passage. We're going to pick up on this psalm next week. But I'm going to ask you, read Psalm 46 this week. As it talks about being still knowing God, the background for this psalm is pretty incredible. And I'll share that with you next week. But I want to, as the worship team comes forward, I once heard this story about bison, the difference between bison and cows. And it's probably out there. You can probably Google it and all that. But here's the thing. When storms come, cows run away from the storm. Out west, when a storm hits, bison head into the storm head first. They don't run. They don't hide. They turn into the storm. They stand and they stand against it. Their thought is if we can know the thought of a bison, okay, is we're going to move forward. We're going to plow through the storm because the sooner we get through it, the sooner we're done with the storm. But that's what bison do. So if you ever see pictures of them when it's snowing hard, you'll see the front of their heads covered with snow because they head into the storm. And I think about this as a believer in Jesus Christ. If I'm following Jesus and I'm getting a boat and following, guess what? I may head into a storm, but as a follower of Christ, I'm going to head into that storm head first, knowing that he's the God of the storm. He will help me. If there's fear in our hearts right now, we have to ask, you know, what am I, what am I troubled by? And where is this going to lead to? How am I going to stand? On the day John Wesley died, some of you might have heard of the name John Wesley before, but he had nearly lost his voice. He, he was hard to understand. And he was on his deathbed, and with all this strength, he called out, the best of all, he said, God is with us. Raising his hand again, he waved it in triumph, exclaiming a victory, saying, the best of all, God is with us. I want to ask you, church, is God with you? You all have storms. I know you do. And in the midst of your storms, have you cried out 
God, do you care? If you have, let me help answer that if he hasn't already answered it for you. He cares immensely. <clears throat> he loves you greatly and deeply. Loves you so much, he sent his son for you. And he says, I'm here. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. I am your mighty fortress. I'm here for you. Just grab my hand, plow forward through the storm because you're going to see more amazing things. Storms of life are going to come. But church, listen, the greatest storm of all will be final judgment. Make Jesus Christ your refuge. Make Jesus Christ your place of safety while there is still time. That's the greatest storm coming. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you've placed your faith in him, you know as I do where it says in Romans chapter 14 that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Now's the time, if you haven't already, to bow and knee to him, to confess. Let him steal your life. Let him start with the storms where you're at. Would you stand, please? Heavenly Father, you're an awesome God. And God, I know there's some uneasiness and some unrest and fear creeps into our lives through all that's been going on. And God, I pray that over the next few weeks as we find and seek peace in the midst of whatever's going on, that we find truth as we find truth today that there are storms. But you are there with us. And just like you called out to that storm, be still. You call out to the storms in our life for that same powerful, mighty, victorious voice. And as the psalmist said in Psalm 46, to be, six, to be still and know that I am God. God, that was a victorious. That wasn't just, let's sit back and reflect. Be quiet and be still. That was a reflect, but it was also a victory shout. Saying that, be still, I am God. You're mighty and powerful. You can handle the storms in our lives. You do care, you do love us. So God, in the moments of fear, give us victory. In those moments of fear, help us to have courage. And God, right now, if there's somebody in this room that's never prayed, never asked you to forgive them of their sins, I pray right now they seek forgiveness. They just ask you to come into their life, to confess their sins, to say they're sorry, to trust you, because we can't do this on our own. God, we love you. We thank you for saving us. We thank you for being with us in the midst of the storms of life. Calm us now. Help us to step forward. Worship you with joy, with peace. In my name we pray.